welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today I'm going to be doing another one of those roundups, headlines on my couch, putting all the crazy headlines on my couch and trying to analyze them, make sense of them for you, and um, go behind the scenes, you know, look at things Everything, the news, you hear the news these days in sound bites, quick sound bites, but life is more complicated than that. There is so much going on that is so much more complicated. But before, so today I'm going to be talking about the headlines that I'm going to be talking about today. Um, first of all, honoring the victims of the Orlando nightclub shooting because today is the second anniversary of that. It was June 12, 2016. Then I'm going to be talking about uh, the summit the uh, summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un and how to talk to kids about it. And then I'm going to be talking about uh, the suicides, the tragic suicides these past days, weeks. Um, I guess it was all maybe within the last week. Uh, So quickly, the suicide of Kate Spade and then Anthony Bourdain. Very sad. Well, What's even sadder? So, so we're going to get into all of these, but let me start with the Orlando nightclub shooting. You know, one of the things that I find really sad, except besides the shooting itself, this tragedy, when Omar Mateen, then a 29-year-old security guard, killed 49 people, wounded 53 people in a terrorist attack that he committed on the Pulse nightclub, a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida. And we just recently had the trial of his wife, his widow, um, in Orlando. And unfortunately, that trial did not find her guilty, which I think um, really added insult to injury. Um, you know, the jury, it turned out that the jury really did feel that she knew what Omar was planning, but they didn't feel as though um, the charges, you know, that rose or what she knew or what she did or didn't do rose to make her guilty for the charges. It really seems like it was um, a lot having to do with the jury instructions because it's great that they were able to see that, yes, indeed, she did know what he was planning, but uh, unfortunately, how it turned out that uh, then she wasn't found guilty is really, well, it's the fault of the jury instructions in part and also the prosecutor, in part, there were things they left uh, holes in their case. They, it really wasn't very well presented. So that was all a part of it. But meanwhile, um, you know, clearly, clearly she knew, and clearly she could have called the police. She could have called his parents. She could have called somebody. She could have called the nightclub um, to, to have prevented this horrendous attack. So uh, today we will honor and remember the victims of that attack and their families. And um, what I was starting to say, that the sad, an additional sad thing about it is that the now granted, um, you know, the the summit between President Trump 
and Kim Jong-un, obviously, that is uh, news of gigantic proportions. But, you know, if you look at Google News, the, the front page of Google News, there was nary a mention of the anniversary of the shooting. And in general, in the news, it's, it's um, so, so far down. And this is, this is so typical of what's been happening with news about terrorism, you know, as if the media wants us to forget that terrorists still exist, that terrorists did commit these awful attacks, that we are still um, under threat. They didn't go away. <laughs> they might have lost some land in the Middle East, ISIS did, and uh, Al-Qaeda, of course, isn't the same as it was uh, for 9-11, but um, without Osama bin Laden, but uh, they, they have not changed their mind. <laughs> Here's a newsflash, folks. They have not changed their mind. The terrorists are still planning to take over the West, uh, institute Sharia law, kill us if we are still non-believers um, or unbelievers in, in uh, the radical Islamist view that they have. So, um, and you know that, uh, that what I always talk about is how we need to prepare ourselves, not just by buying duct tape, but by preparing ourselves physically and psychologically to withstand the ongoing constant threat of terrorism and whatever attacks uh, follow. So, again, we need to take this time and make, um, make a space in our memory, in our news, um, to honor the, the horrible, these, to honor the victims of these horrible tragedies. Um, well, that kind of, and actually I was just, uh, last week I, I was in New York at the Expo, the Book Expo and the Book Con uh, with my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. And I got a great reaction from teachers and librarians and the media. And I, I spoke at the BEA. I spoke on a panel about 9-11 and its impact on families and terrorism. And, um, you know, there was, in New York, of course, the BEA Book Expo uh, typically takes place in New York City. And so, yes, there people are a little more attuned and don't forget about, um, about the ongoing threat of terrorism. So I was uh, greeted with a lot of thanks for writing such a book. It has, um, it has, the first half of the book is for parents and teachers and therapists and librarians and so on, how to talk to kids about terrorism. Um, and I'm going to be talking to you now about how to talk to kids about the summit. Uh, but it was just, it was, it was very, um, it was very, what's the word? <laughs> it was very gratifying to um, see how people were responding to it, that they were glad that, that you know, the, the overall response was, well, first it was, you, this is a book about terrorism for kids, because I start off with how this is the first and only book about terrorism for kids. As I was starting to say, the first half of the book is for the grown-ups, and then the second half of the book is a picture book for kids. So at first, the reaction is, wait, what? <laughs> You're doing a book about terrorism for kids? And then when, they, you know, when I um, go, go through it with them and point out the highlights, by the end, they say, wow, you really covered everything, and this is so important. It's sad that it's important, but we do need to talk to kids about it. So that brings me into my next topic, which is talking to kids about the summit. 
But before I, I get into that, um, I want to tell you about a tweet I wrote regarding the summit, before the summit. I wrote, between Robert De Niro calling POTUS the F-word on Tony Awards and Dennis Rodman telling CNN Breaking News he's happy to be a part of it because I think I deserve it, they put selves before USA and made President Trump's work a lot harder on eve of summit with Kim Jong-un. Bad. Yes, very bad. Um, You know, that... uh, (laughs) It kind of goes along with the taking a knee. Uh, you know, here we have, we have veterans, we have people going into the military. Every day people are signing up for the military in America and, um, and in other countries, but right now I'm talking about America, um, signing up for the military, risking their lives every day in dangerous parts of the world, the Middle East, of course, Africa where there are terrorists, um, all, all parts of the world where they are risking their lives. And in the meantime, not only is it that they could come home dead or injured, PTSD, traumatic brain injury, all of the things that are so prevalent now with our returning veterans, but they're, they're sacrificing already, even if they come out relatively unscathed in terms of those sorts of injuries, they are sacrificing um, a life, you know, that that lots of us enjoy, which don't include putting yourself in danger every day. They're sacrificing a comfortable life for, to go out there um, on the front and fight for our freedoms. And yet we have people like Robert De Niro standing up um, at the Tony Awards saying F um, Trump, F Trump. Um, I mean, first of all, you know, putting aside how inappropriate it is to be talking, using that kind of language on television, national television, where, especially with award show, uh, shows where, which are watched internationally by tons of people, um, you know, how does that make America look? Just even that, that, that we, ex- and wait, <laughs> wait for it. Um, he didn't just say it. He knew the reaction he would get. And in fact, we had the whole audience uh, or most of them, standing up and applauding for a very long time. You know, here people get, the, the people who win awards on these award shows only get such a small amount of time to say thank you, and they're wasting all the time standing there, you know, clapping for, I didn't measure the time, but it was for a very long time um, because he said the F word in relation to Trump. I mean, what kind of an impression does this give the world of America? Very sad very sick, very low-brow, very, very uneducated, very um, just, you know, um, primitive. So anyhow, and Dennis Rodman also, he was thinking of himself saying, he, you know, I, I'm happy to be, be a part of it because I think I deserve it. Anything positive that comes from the meeting between President Trump and King, Kim Jong-un, he's going to be taking credit for Rob. Um, Dennis Rodman is going to be taking credit for. Yes, he went over there. Yes, Kim Jong-un likes basketball. But, you know, (laughs) I think it's a stretch to say that it was because of Dennis Rodman that any peace may have been achieved. So now let's go to how to talk to kids about um, the summit. Uh, First of all, the parents and and teachers and grown-ups make the same mistake about talking about something like the summit as they do with talking to kids about terrorism. The first mistake that they make is, 
um, thinking that kids don't know anything about it, that it's too complicated, well, it is complicated, but thinking that kids don't care or aren't affected in any way. And I can assure you, yes, they're very confused about it. I mean, certainly grown-ups are confused about it, uh, the summit and terrorism. But, um, but that's part of the problem as far as kids because they, things that they don't understand, they easily take to be something frightening, especially in this case because there was so much um, like what I just read to you, you know, like what I talked about in my tweet, there was so much dissension about it um, beforehand. You know, it, it comes down to the same two political halves fighting each other as if that's more important um, than nuclear war and trying to make some kind of peace with Trump. And it's true that um, there are some people who would almost rather have or at least still be at great risk of nuclear war than to see Trump succeed at getting peace. But anyhow, so, so there's all this dissension. And so, um, so parents need to, to take all of this into consideration. And because this is what makes it more complicated, you know, maybe one parent has one political view and the other parent has another political view or the parent has one view and the teacher has another view or the therapist has another view or therapists aren't supposed to be talking about their political views to their patients. Um, But anyhow, kids are around when grown-ups are talking and they hear all of these confusing, differing opinions and it's very frightening. So, um, you know, there are some grown-ups who they'll hear saying this is a huge achievement for President Trump. No other president has been able to do this. And then there are other parents who they would have seen who stood up and cheered when Robert De Niro called Trump the F-word. So really, um, regardless of who is president, parents and teachers should be teaching kids to respect the presidency of the United States. Um, regardless who the president is, what political party they is, I'm, they are, they are, they is, they are from. Um, you don't call on national television a president the f word. Not just the president of the United States. You don't do it in any country. I mean, the difference is that in the United States, the person doesn't get put into jail. The person who calls the president an f word on national te- television doesn't get put into jail or have any other consequences. They get cheered. Whereas in many other countries, they would be uh, taken to jail if not um, treated with off with their head if they called the leader of the country the F word or whatever language it is in their language. Um, another thing that, one thing that parents can do uh, in terms of talking about the summit with kids is to, there's a great lesson that they can teach. And that is that even though two people have said awful words to each other, you know, critical, um, demeaning words, not not the F word, but um, it is true that President Trump called Kim Jong-un a little rocket man. (laughs) Not a little. He called him little rocket man. And Kim Jong-un called Trump a dotard, which means someone who is in their dotage, someone who is old and and um, and sort of senile and or in mental decay. And so this, the value of 
talking about this with kids is that even though two people, even two leaders of countries, um, after calling each other <laughs> names, um, they can put that aside and uh, realize that you know they were each saying it kind of in a in an emotional moment, maybe a fearful moment, um, maybe a, a moment where they had it was tit for tat. If one called one this, the other had to call the other something equal, equally hurtful. Um, and so the lesson is that even though you might say things out of anger or fear or some other emotion, that you can, if you want to enough, uh, make peace with that person and put those things behind you. Now, of course, it's not nice to call each other names, whether it's in the playground or um, on, in the media, you know, at press conferences, uh, but you can try to understand uh, what, how that came about and to put aside the arguments to make peace. Now, last but not least, kids should also be told that Kim Jong-un and President Trump signed a paper to seal their promises to each other, but that now it's up to each of them to keep their promise. And although it looks like finally our countries may be friends again, we need to watch and make sure that everyone lives up to their promise. But all in all, it's a very good thing because war is bad for all countries and peace and friendship are good. Now, if it turns out that all the things um, that they think they decided on or all the things that are on that piece of paper or all the things they talked about afterwards because apparently there was more that they didn't that they talked about after they had signed and sealed the, the paper um, we now have to see that that it happens but the thing is that even if not all of these things happen the fact that they even met in the same room and shook hands is, a, is an historical event. And it is sad that some people uh, are putting politics above the fact that at least we are coming closer. <clears throat> if, not, if, if it's not signed, sealed, and delivered 100%, at least we are coming closer to peace with North Korea than we ever have before. Well, we need to take a break, so stay tuned. I'll be talking about the suicides of Anthony Bourdain and um, Kate Spade, why so many people are committing suicide these days. Uh, celebrities, you know, we pay attention when it's celebrities, but it's not just celebrities. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? 
Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today. So contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the headlines, putting the headlines on my couch and analyzing them for you, giving you, talking to you about things that you don't hear in the um, mainstream media. A typical example or a great example <laughs> is um, the Anthony Bourdain suicide. I mean, yes, of course, it's in the media that Anthony Bourdain sadly committed suicide, but um, you're not going to hear what I'm going to talk to you about. I wrote a tweet. I am really into Twitter, by the way, folks. <laughs> My Twitter handle is at Dr. Carol MD, so at D-R Carol, C-A-R-O-L-E-M-D, uh, in case you want to check it out. They, I recently wrote uh, a tweet. I tweeted um, in regard to Anthony Bourdain, plot thickens. Anthony Bourdain, not only depressed because of world disaster, but also personal disaster, must have seen photos of girlfriend Agia Argento looking cozy with new beau Hugo Clement since Khan. Writing on the wall likely pushed him over the edge. Sad. Now, you're not hearing somebody... Uh, so directly talking about this as I will go on to talk about. Um, but that tweet got over 15,800 hits, um, 1,650 engagements, and there were all kinds of, you know, lots of retweets and likes and 29 likes, <laughs> profile clicks, 121. Um, I have never gotten so many hits for an, a tweet, I mean, I do pretty well with my tweets, but 15,801, that was the other day. I mean, it's obviously higher than that today, so, or right now. Um, but anyhow, so why? why? What? <laughs> Sometimes I, I try to analyze why people, um, so many hits on certain tweets and not other tweets that I think are, like, amazing that uh, people should be interested in. Uh, you know, sometimes don't get as many, as many hits as I would think, and then this just goes off the charts. 
Now, I think it's because people like the fact that I am looking behind the scenes, analyzing it, and saying, I say it like it is. I tell it like it is. Not everybody likes that, but I tell it like it is. And, um, uh, you know, of course, we're all sad. He, you know, I mean, that's, you look at Anthony Bourdain, and you think, oh, my God, what a perfect life. Um, here he gets to travel all around the world. He gets to eat all kinds of delicious food. He gets to be on television. He's had a ton of television shows um, with Emmys and all kinds of accolades. He's also been a best-selling author. I mean, come on, what a life. And we look at that and we think, well, why would somebody with all of that, of course, money, you know, he's, <laughs> all of this has brought a lot of money over the years, and we look at that and we think, what? You know, I would love to have a life like that. How dare he? In a way, you know, that's another thing people aren't talking about. Um, There's sadness, of course, that he killed himself because people like him. You kind of feel like you're his friend because he does these very conversational shows where he talks to people over dinner. And so it feels like he's talking to you over dinner. So it's very sad. Um, But on the other hand, there's kind of an anger as well. Again, nobody's talking about that. Anger that how could somebody who God or whatever you believe in, uh, the universe, graced him with so much good fortune to have all of these, you know, good things in his life. He was married twice. Um, He has a daughter. I mean, I think... I think he must have had some, he's talked about, you know, abusing various substances in the past, drugs in the past. He still drinks, but it's, they're doing toxicology for his family to see whether he had any substances in his blood. But um, he must have had something. I mean, not that this explains it all, of course, um, but he, he loved his daughter so much that it must have taken a lot of pain and, a, and an impulse. I mean, the reason why I think he probably at least had some alcohol on board is because that's what happens with people. Um, if they have suicidal thoughts, if they then add alcohol or drugs, it allows the impulses to take over. And whereas you would have had more rational thought and, and, you know, thought to yourself, oh, my God, no, I can't kill myself. You know, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm so depressed. I want to kill myself, but I can't because I love my daughter and I don't want to do this to my daughter. I mean, he has had that argument with himself apparently in the past. He's admitted he's been depressed uh, for years and he's, you know, sort of on the edge of suicide. Um, So he had to have had something, something that allowed him to take that step. He hanged himself. I'm I'm talking like I assume you all know how he killed himself. He hanged himself in a hotel in France uh, where he was doing a show, one of his shows, um, and he was found by his friend um, hanging from the hanging in his room in his hotel room with his the robe uh, belt. So. Um, uh, you know, so something um, must have allowed him to finally take a step that w- if he had all his rational mind, I, I think he would have somehow continued to fight against. But anyhow, okay, so why is that? That he, di- besides the possibility of some substance, um, which is, you know, really no, that's not sort of the meat of this, um, why, why was he, why did he 
um, finally go forth and take his life. As I said, besides the possibility that some substance might have helped him to make this wrong decision. Um, well, first of all, he left a clue to his suicide uh, and the epidemic of suicides that we're seeing. We have, since 9 11, um, suicides have increased 25 to 30 percent. And I'll talk a little more about that, but let me just stick with Anthony Bourdain for a minute. Um, he bought a painting days before his death that was called The Sky is Falling. I am learning to live with it. That, that was the title of the picture. The sky is falling. I am learning to live with it. Well, apparently, unfortunately, he soon found that he wasn't able to live with it, all the things that were causing him pain. And um, the picture, the painting, is of leaves falling, a lot of green leaves on the top of the painting, and a man, um, so the, the head and neck of a man, who is trying to look stoic. And so the sky is falling is also a metaphor for when the epidemic of suicides began, and that is 9-11 and the crashing of the planes into the World Trade Center. The sky was falling. People thought the sky was falling, and it was, literally, uh, or at least metaphorically. So many of us are in denial about the psychological impact that 9-11, and as I was talking about earlier, uh, terrorism in general, has had on our psyche and our life, but we're really unconsciously feeling frightened, unprotected, lost, and adrift, not only because of 9-11, but because of this ongoing threat of terrorism. So we're all a little shaky. Basically, (laughs) that's what I'm trying to say. We're all a little shaky. We're all... We're all feeling that the sky is falling, um, although we, you know, part of us is trying to deny this, um, but part of us is very much aware that we are um, in a very tenuous spot in, in life, you know, which is why, for one thing, why a lot of, um, you know, kids and it's very hard for kids to be growing up in a world where things seem so tenuous. I mean, it's much more attractive to think about, oh, doing all kinds of self-destructive things if you think that your life may end any day anyway. You know, it's the eat dessert first kind of thing. So so with us being in this tenuous spot, trying to block out thoughts of the fact that the sky is falling... Um, when we have some other things happening in our life that um, are making us sad, giving us a lot of pain and a lot of trauma, it is very easy to be pushed over the edge. Now, and le- before I get into that in terms of um, Bourdain and Kate Spade, I, w- I want to mention also that since 9-11, there has also been an increase in drug and alcohol abuse an increase in depression, anxiety, cutting behavior, obesity because of trying to comfort ourselves with comfort food, and lots of other negative indicators. So, um, you know, it all kind of goes together. And suicidal thoughts are most frequently connected to major depression. So it's a, a symptom of major depression. 
And one night, um, if we add too much to this, like alcohol, um, we can lose control and give in to our dark and hopeless impulses. Now, with Anthony Bourdain, there, if there, even if there was alcohol, there was a lot more than alcohol that was more important uh, in terms of what pushed him over the edge. Now, this is what I was talking about that you're not going to really um, see in the mainstream media. I kind of put these things together. There are some outlets that, uh, media outlets that do get, try to go behind the story and get more of the information, like TMZ like the UK's Daily Mail, like the National Enquirer. You know, for everyone who wants to put down and poo-poo the National Enquirer, I had a column in the National Enquirer for a year that was about, uh, it was Hollywood on the couch, um, putting, uh, analyzing people who were being talked about in the, in the um, magazine for that week. And um, what I would do would be to do research on them, analyze them, and explain why they did the behavior that was now making news in this edition. And I can tell you from personal experience for a good year that um, each and every word that I wrote was gone over with a fine-tooth comb by the lawyers. I mean, not only the editors, but the lawyers wanting to know where did I get this, what makes me think this, um, wanting to have me back up everything that I wrote. So, um, yes, do occasionally some stars win uh, lawsuits against them? Occasionally, yes. As you may have noticed, that's happening a lot less. But, so, but in any case, um, these are some of the, of the outlets that do try to get behind the scenes, aren't afraid to dig up some of the other pieces of information. And with Anthony Bourdain, digging um, resulted in quite an unfortunate find. And that is um, that in the days before his suicide, his girlfriend of approximately two years, Aja Argento, was seen and photographed in Rome with a French reporter very cute French reporter, I might add, uh, Hugo Clement. Clement. Uh, and there are photos of them, a lot of photos, uh, that, you know, some of them you could sort of rationalize and say, oh, she's just hugging him. Because, I mean, this all came about, she, yeah, let me back up. Um, uh, uh, Aja Argento was in Cannes where she made, um, again, just right before before Anthony Bourdain killed himself, she was in Cannes and she made this speech that was covered by media worldwide about how she was a victim of Henry Weinstein, how Henry Weinstein raped her, and how she's standing up against him and so on. And Anthony Bourdain um, wrote about that uh, or spoke about that, publicly commented in one way and or another uh, about how he was so glad, so happy to be with someone who was so brave to stand up for herself against uh, Henry Weinstein, against this kind of um, treatment of women, and so on. So he stuck his neck out, <laughs> ironic choice of words, um, stuck his neck out to praise her in the media. 
at, right when she was doing, you know, right after her speech and so on. And he had been supporting her before that, too, during this past year when she came out against, and um, um, you know, talking about being raped and all that. And um, then, uh, then um, Aja Argento apparently connected or reconnected at Cannes with this reporter, Hugo Clement, who also wrote about her speech. And um, the next thing, next thing anyone knows, there are these pictures in, uh, on the Internet where um, showing the two of them, Aja and this reporter, Hugo, uh, in Rome, they apparently went to Rome together, or met up in Rome, probably went together to Rome from Cannes, and they are in all of these very, very intimate poses. You know, some of them you could kind of rationalize and say, oh, well, she's just hugging him because she's so happy. He wrote about her and her speech about, you know, being sexually harassed and all that, and um, she's just grateful. Well, <laughs> that might go for a couple of the pictures, but in the other pictures, you can tell that the two of them have slept together. I mean, I'll just say it right out. That is my opinion, First Amendment, and all of that. Um, and because there are certain weight, body language and eye contact and so on where there's a, an intimacy between the two of them, um, that is not just friends, <laughs> you know, and you see her looking at him. There are some pictures where she's looking at him in this, with this look like she's madly in love with him. Now, do you, what do you think the chances are that Anthony Bourdain saw those pictures? I would say pretty damn good that somebody brought them to his attention. And, and you know, <laughs> the writing was on the wall, that she was going to be leaving him. It's so interesting, so sad, but interesting, that um, with this speech, she, um, you know, and with her whole, her whole um, being very prominent in this whole Me Too campaign, um, she, her, her presence, people have been noticing her more, and um, her star was rising, so to speak. I mean, I never heard of her before. Not that that's necessarily a great gauge. But, um, but, you know, I think that there was part of her who might well have thought, well, you know, Anthony Bourdain is a good guy, had fun, but I don't need to be, um, to be known as his girlfriend anymore. I don't need to lean on him to be famous. I can apparently now, I'm famous on my own. And there she goes off with uh, the French reporter. Well, we need to take another break, um, but <laughs> uh, do come back for more. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. 
Dr. Carroll is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where I'm putting today's headlines on the couch and analyzing them and talking about things that apparently um, (laughs) you're not going to hear for the most part in the mainstream media. I was talking before the break about, about the suicides, well, about suicides in general and about particularly the suicide of Anthony Bourdain. And, um, and how, in, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, it was precipitated. I mean, yes, he's talked about, uh, well, he's talked about, you know, that he, that he has, um, that he's, has felt depressed for quite some time during his life. Um, he's talked about how sometimes if he goes into, in an, if he's in an airport and he eats a hamburger, it's a really that doesn't taste good, you know. That I mean, that's not up to his culinary standards, and of course, no um, hamburgers in airports are up to anybody's culinary standards for the most part. Um, that that can send him into a uh, downward spiral of depression. So, if a hamburger can send him down into a spiral of depression, uh, what do you think he was sent into when he saw these photos? of his girlfriend of two years, Aja Argento, um, looking very amorous towards her new beau, Hugo Clément, in Rome, uh, while he was, while uh, Anthony Bourdain was still in France. Um, you know, obviously that must have been incredibly devastating to him. And, um, and you know... I, well, I'll read you. There's a letter that uh, was written by Rose McGowan, and I'll read you some parts of it. Um, she, you know, I don't know if she um, was referring to me specifically at the time or whether there were other people. I actually haven't heard anybody else besides me um, talk about, you know, the effect of uh, 
seeing Aja in the arms of this younger French journalist. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly there could well have been. I, I don't know that she was necessarily directing this specifically at me, but she said things like, you know, she, she's a friend uh, of Aja, and it was basically a letter praising Aja for coming out against Harvey Weinstein and, and um, saying how devastated Aja must be that Anthony killed himself and so on. And so she's saying, uh, quote, I'm quoting from Rose McGowan's letter, many, people of the, many of these people who lost their friend uh, are wanting to lash out and blame, by friend she's meaning Anthony Bourdain, wanting to lash out and blame. You must not sink to that level. Suicide is a horrible choice, but it is that person's choice. And then she says, Anthony and Aja had a free relationship. They loved without borders of traditional relationships, and they established the parameters of their relationship early on. Aja is a free bird, and so was Anthony. Um, blame is not a conversation. It is the sh- shutting down of our collective growth, which is where we are now. We have a choice as humans, shrink to our smaller, uglier selves, or be better and grow as only true phoenixes can. I urge you to be that phoenix. My God. All right, anyway. Uh, You know, okay, so here I am, my uglier self. Let me tell you, the reason why I talked about that in my tweet, which got uh, over 15,000 hits, is because um, I was trying to make the point that... um, People should be more gentle with each other. Now, surely Aja knew, she was with him for almost two years, surely she knew that Anthony Bourdain was on the verge of suicide many times, or at least depressed, and potentially on the verge of suicide. So what did she think would happen when he saw these photos of her in the arms of some guy? Um, a younger guy, uh, a guy who Anthony may think is more virile than he is, although we don't know that that's true. Um, you know, she knew it ha- that it would have to be very hurtful. She might well have known, really deep down, that it could be enough to put him over the edge and cause him to commit suicide. If a hamburger in an airport could, I mean, unless she's an idiot, she has to know that that would be extremely hurtful and could push him over the edge. So that's why I talk about it, and I also talk about it in order to show people how to bring more attention to why people, why there's this epidemic of suicide, not just amongst celebrities, but you know, it's amongst celebrities because it's amongst all of us, and so the numbers, you know, are including celebrities as well. It's not just a celebrity thing. We just hear about the celebrities in the news. We don't hear about, you know, Joe Smith down the road who quietly committed suicide. So um, call me an ugly self. Um, But, you know, I, I I think that because of, as I was saying earlier, because we are each walking around more vulnerable, thinner skin, more on the precipice, feeling... Um, feeling more vulnerable about things that are going on in the world, whether it's, you know, primarily since it started mainly since 9-11, 
Um, it's, it's this sense that we have in the back of our minds that um, we are in danger. And so when something in, in our personal world, you know, that's in the big world, that's in the grand scheme of things, but when something in our personal world uh, hurts us as well, on top of that, we don't have the resources, the personal resources, the psychological resources to be able to cope with it as much as we did years ago when um, life was more secure. Uh, you know, when there was a mommy home baking cookies and daddy going to work and father knows best and all of that. Now, I know that that wasn't really as idyllic as the television shows would, uh, would indicate, but it certainly was, there was certainly more of a base, more of a, a safety net that people felt. And so uh, more other people to lean on. Apparently, Anthony didn't tell anyone about this, but he did, people did know. He certainly made no, um, no secret of how much he loved uh, Aja, I mean, which, of course, made the whole thing so much more humiliating. I mean, in addition to, like, losing his love, uh, imagine how humiliating it was for him to, after he just made this big deal about how Aja made this great speech about Harvey Weinstein, um, you know, so proud of his girlfriend, his love, to now have this happen. His love goes off with another man. So, um, yes, am I angry at her? Yes, yes, I guess you could say that I am because it was incredibly, incredibly insensitive. Now, talking about insensitive, <laughs> I promised we'd get to Kate Spade, right? Well, we have a similar situation with Kate Spade. Um, she, you know, and we, we, she also left clues, just like Anthony Bourdain left the clue in terms of the painting, you know, uh, that he bought, um, Kate Spade left a clue because he, she left a suicide note to her daughter. And she said, B, I have always loved you. This is not your fault. Ask Daddy. Now, <laughs> you don't have to be a psychiatrist to figure out that she's telling her daughter it's Daddy's fault. And lo and behold, Daddy... Um, had moved out some months ago. There are various reports about how many months, something like between three and ten. Um, and he, you know, after she committed suicide, he was saying, oh, no, we didn't want a divorce. I mean, sh- we weren't going to get divorced. Um, well, that's baloney <laughs> because, I mean, she didn't want a divorce. But he obviously was on his way, and there are some reports that they had each gotten attorneys and so on, but he was the one who wanted the divorce. Now, um, then the strange thing, there were reports that her husband was at her house when she suicided. But um, she was found by the maid. She hanged herself with a scarf, a red scarf, in her room, Um, and the housekeeper ran downstairs to the building's main floor to tell the building's superintendent, who apparently rushed upstairs, cut the scarf, and attempted CPR. Now, why, if her husband was, if Kate's husband was in the house, why would the maid have to go downstairs and look for the superintendent? 
I mean, that I do not know the answer to at this point. Um, perhaps he wasn't in the house after all, or perhaps he was and he didn't want to help. Perhaps he was and he was um, in some kind of state where he wouldn't help. Um, I don't know. I guess we need to check her uh, life insurance for one thing. Um, But was he on drugs? Was he, you know, was he... Uh, what was the deal? That, that's still a question mark that, I, that needs to be solved. But um, another interesting and contributing factor to why Kate would have picked that date is because um, the Designer Awards show was that Monday. And in the past, she had gotten awards from, at the Designer Awards show uh, but she had sold years before. She sold her business. You know, she, in case you don't know who Kate Spade is, um, she was famous for creating a line of handbags and shoes and all kinds of other accessories um, for uh, fashion accessories and house accessories and so on. She was incredibly successful. And in 2006, 2007, she sold her business and got a ton of money for it because she wanted to stay at home with her daughter. So here's another example of someone who had to have been an incredible, incredible pain for her to take her own life if, since she loved her daughter so so much, that she quit her business to stay home with her daughter and take care of her. So it's just a testament to how much pain these people were in. And again, it's the same thing. In this case, it's her husband who uh, moved out of the house Chances are he was seeing other women, you know, moved out of the house so he could, I mean, you know, in other words, call themselves, he wanted to be considered separated so he could date other women, have sex with other women. I mean, you know, it's all about sex, really. Um, but, but, you know, and yes, that makes us do mean things to um, each other, you know, when we go off with someone else uh, and it's lust or sex or all of that. But the point is, that in these days when people are so vulnerable um, because of what's going on in the world, we have to teach, treat, we have to teach and we have to treat each other with so much more kindness than we ever did before. Well, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 